You're listening to the City Light Sermon Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. So today actually marks a year uh, since my coming on to be, I guess my official title would have been interim uh, pastor or equipping pastor. Um, my wife, uh, Kyra, and I, along with uh, the elders and now deacons, have uh, just just grown to love this church and grown to um, uh, hopefully clarify what God's heart and will is for this church, what his will is for all churches in general. Uh, but specifically, we would want to know distinctively what our vision is and who we are and what our identity is in the Great Commission. Um, and today kind of marks a day of uh, conclusion to that in terms of a season, really, of exploration, of, uh, of, of deciding the who and the what and the where of ministry. And so uh, you can look forward to that. There'll be kind of a, an affirmation process that'll be a paper ballot according to our constitution. Um, but it was actually in the garage uh, just yesterday. I was cleaning out the back trunk. Um, I always say there's junk in the trunk. There always is junk in the Honda Accord uh, because uh, at our house, at the Wong's household, there's always like stuff that gets left over in your house and you like mean to go and drop it off at a bunch of different places. But we're also busy. We never drop those things off. Um, and in the back, there were two things that I found in the... Uh, the clean-out process of my Honda Accord, one of which was a, a, a bag of door stoppers uh, that were from a year ago that I never returned. They do need to go back to, uh, and I apologize, Kyle, the deacon, the chair, chair of the uh, finance committee. Uh, there will be $18.68 added back on when I uh, return them to Walmart, because Walmart takes anything back, right? And so, uh, but these door uh, stoppers were, were something that were suggested by Tom Royalston way back in the day when Tom served on the greeting team. He is now an elder here at the church, and it's interesting, it's cool to see over the year God's faithfulness. Uh, the, the, the prayer was, Lord, would you empower our church from a staff of five down to a staff of two? Would you empower the church, not just to be staff-led, but to be church-led and, and spirit-led and all those wonderful things? And so that doorpost represented something, an idea that Tom had come up with when we talked about the vision for family. He said, well, if I knew that we were going after family and belonging, not just believing, that, that, that I wouldn't want my back against the door, I'd get a doorpost and we would move forward and meet people once they hit the sidewalk right out front. And I thought, that is an awesome idea. That is empowering, and I want to go ahead and buy those doorposts. So Tom had the doorposts already. He's a go-getter, and I'm going to return the ones to Walmart. But nonetheless, it was, uh, it was a reminder, a memento. Uh, but God is faithful. I remember on some of the notes that I wrote down that were I found in the trunk as well, as I said, Lord, I want to see 10% of our giving, our first and our best, to go outside the four walls towards ministry. And lo and behold, you know, as the season have progressed in this last year. That is now a reality of, of what our church is and stands for, is that the first 10% goes out to ministry outside the four walls. And also I said, Lord, would you provide 10 non-staff positions to be leaders and lay people in the church? And now we have 10 uh, deacons that are serving and committed here to care and create communication and contribution for our church. And we have an addition of two more elders in this last year. And so all that to say, God is faithful all the time. Amen. This is the mission statement on the board, and I want to talk about it for the rest of my time today. Um, underneath the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, and not only to make converts, but to make family members, to make sons and raise up sons and daughters within uh, the gospel community that is emerging in the earth, uh, is, is to make disciples of all nations and teach them everything it is that Jesus obeyed. Uh, and 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 as a result of that, that these disciples would not just be disciples, but they would make disciples, that they would be and make disciples. And so that is the great commission of every church. Uh, I think there's a lot of too much time spent on mission and vision and words and semantics and things that go up on whiteboards for pastors like me or church leaders to, to, to deal with. The biggest mission, of course, is the great commission. 
But just underneath that, when it comes to the question of, Lord, what have you put on our heart as a community to go and be and do to fulfill that great commission? These were some of the words that have come to mind and emerged over the year. And that is to be uh, those followers of Jesus that Jesus commands us to be devoted as the first church was devoted, Um, not because it was successful, not because it was uh, motivating, not because it was something that was going to create prestige, but just a devotion out of divinity because there's something bigger and, and wider and more longstanding than is going on even in this room. We want to be devoted to these values on good days and bad days, to these things, to the building up a family, which I want to talk about today, the being good news to our neighbors, to, to, to treat the gospel not as just an explanation, but an experience to be invited into. That the Great Commission and the Great Commandment look best in family. That the Great Commission and the Great Commandment to love the Lord your God and love uh, your neighbor as yourself and to go and make disciples, that those things are best executed in Acts chapter 2 in the family goings on of life. That, uh, that the gospel is not about information, but it is about incarnation, and that what would it be like to, to have a family that would move into the neighborhood and the neighbors would say that's good news because that family has moved in? That, that if a person was, was hired in a workplace, that heaven would look down on that, on that hiring and say that is good news for that, that job community because that disciple has now moved into that neighborhood and it is a blessing. It has been blessed to be a blessing to the neighbors and to the nations as well. Uh, as, as the Great Commission w- would suggest. And so I want to share just a, a couple of stories um, to help illustrate what, what I think um, this mission statement means and why it would be important to, to not just be and make disciples, but to build family that would bless neighbors and extend to the nations. When I was, uh, when I was about nine, I never told anybody this, uh, and Kyra just found out this uh, last night, uh, as pastor's wives sometimes do, when their husbands get up and tell stories that they've never heard before. Uh, but it's a true story. When I was in third grade, I never told anybody, but I spent a year in third grade being a Trekkie. Like, like, I, like I, I loved Star Trek. Not the like Captain Kirk one, but the Next Generation one with Captain Picard. It was on at 5 o'clock at night just before the Wonder Years, and I wouldn't tell anybody because back then it wasn't very cool. But I, my heart, I couldn't deny what my heart wanted. I wanted to be on the bridge with Worf and Data, Data and uh, Captain Picard and Captain Riker, and I, and I wanted to wear the red little thing and have a little beeper on my chest so I could, I could talk instantly to people. And so uh, I begged my mom to not tell my friends and take me down to the Star Trek convention in Albany, New York at the Downtown Museum uh, to go and check out, like, this uh, community. <clears throat> and I get to the front door, and it wasn't just Star Trek The Next Generation. It was Voyager. It was the other, I can't remember, Deep Space Nine, I think was the name of the other one, and the original Captain Kirk. I come down here, as these sliding glass doors, and it was like my right foot, as I stepped in the door, was like in, like, normal Albany, New York, kind of, like, boring. It's a very government job type of location if you've ever been upstate New York. That Albany place was here. And with my left foot, as I stepped in the door, it was stepping out of the world and into the bridge. It was like I was with all of the Star Trek. I kid you not, there was a dude that looked, it was like, he looked like a wax statue. He was so much Spock resemblance. He hit me with one of these fingers just like this. You can do this, too, if you want to, you know, participate this morning. But he, he, he greeted me. I'm nine years old. He said, may you live long and prosper. He hit me just like this with a Vulcan thing like this. And I, and, I, and I knew exactly what to do. I hit him right back. I was like, live long and prosper, brother. I was already in. I was in. There was a Klingon there named Worf. He had like the full makeup with his forehead and a sash that went down. And 
this big burly dude, and he looked just like Worf, and it was like my dreams coming true. I could talk to him. And there was a guy that looked like Captain Kirk, and they had and they had this like prized possession. It was like the whole the holy grail of this whole thing was like all lead into this glass case where they had this like taser that was like $99. It looked just like the television show, and I would just stare at it. It was just so awesome. And um, and I share that because uh, there really is a community in those things. You know, like, like if you've been to, I saw some of my friends went to a John Mayer concert. When you go to a John Mayer concert, there's a community around John Mayer and guitars. And when you go to Star Trek, there's a community around Trekkies. And when you go to Comic-Con, there's a community around Comic-Con. When you go to a Dungeons and Dragons party or whatever it may be, there's a community that comes around a common interest. A crowd can actually become a community very quickly. If you play the right song in a crowd or if you give the right speech in a crowd, a crowd can become a community if you give it a common interest. But a crowd and a community cannot make disciples. So uh, a year before that, uh, to to share a juxtaposition, another anecdote, I had joined uh, the Fedoshin karate class, which my mom would not allow me to join, the Valaris karate class because that was kind of like Cobra Kai. They had a sign right above the door before we entered that said, winning is everything. And my mom was like, we're not going here. We're going to somewhere else. And so we went to to the Japanese place. And the Japanese place was all about character. It was all about discipline. It was all about building up uh, the, the students in the class. And I remember, like, the minute you stepped in, it wasn't a crowd. It wasn't community. It was family, like, the minute you got in there. The minute you got in there, it was like the, the, the mom and the sister and the aunt, they watched the kids while you did the karate. The minute you got in there, they gave you a rag, and you were responsible on day one to start wiping up the floors in this dojo. On day one, they not only started to teach you how to do the, the katas and the moves and the forms, they would teach you how to teach other people how to do the katas and the moves and the forms. Like from the beginning, you were never a consumer. You are always part of the family. You always had a relationship with the people that were in that group and a belonging, but you also carried a responsibility and an empowerment. So this is the quote I want us to think about on the screen today. And I just have a very simple point to be made and, and some, some kind of vision casting again to close up the family series on values we talked about and to launch into this next series called Defining Discipleship that Timothy had talked about uh, this morning. But I want you to consider this. If discipleship means reproduction, if it means multiplication, if a disciple is somebody, a follower of Jesus, is somebody that doesn't just like Jesus but looks like Jesus and can help other people look like Jesus, then discipleship wasn't modeled by Jesus and isn't really seen anywhere in our life, in the Bible or in life, to be uh, an exercise of crowd or crowd control. Discipleship cannot happen in crowds, does not happen in crowds, but discipleship happens in families. Because in a bus station, a bus station, the buses come and they pick up people at the bus stop and there's a common need there, so everybody kind of gets together because of a common need. And if John Mayer were to show up and play guitar and we all sang, you know, bigger than my body gives me credit for whatever song he was singing, He could create a community. He could. He could create a feeling of connection, like we're here together around this, like, value, what it meant to be a teenager in 2003, or whatever it is that we're we're creating community around. But the problem with crowds and communities is that crowds and communities, they can can accumulate and they can even assimilate culture, but crowds and communities cannot multiply people. Families multiply people. Crowds and communities cannot multiply people. So the difference between a John Mayer concert and my living room is when I sit down with Alec, who's, who's seven, he's my son, 
Um, I, don't, I don't sit down with Alec to make him comfortable or to be my friend. I sit down with Alec to reproduce who I am in him so that by the time Alec's 18, my goal isn't that he's comfortable and my goal isn't that he's just a good son. My goal is that he could be a good father, right? Isn't that what family exists to do? So what is the difference between a community and a family is that communities exist to assimilate. They exist to sing a song and give a, a rhetoric and a doctrine and create a culture that people can belong to, but communities will always fall short of the 7 to 12s, the disciples, the life-on-life process that Jesus walked his disciples with all the way through Matthew as we studied that all last year, is that communities can create assimilation, but only families can multiply. My last anecdote of the day. So another confession is that on Saturdays, I go to the ladies' gym called Burn Boot Camp with Kyra, which is a confession in and of itself. But even worse than that, is that uh, I go in there and I get my butt whooped every single Saturday. So if you want to see me on the verge of vomiting, if that's a thing for you, uh, which I hope it's not, you can come check me out at Burn Boot Camp on Woodruff Road. Uh, There is a Commit to Fit program right now that invites guys to come to the 5 o'clock class. I think that's a little bit creepy. I drew the line right there. Y'all can email the elders about that, whatever you think, but I am not joining. I support on Saturday, but I do not join the ladies' gym Uh, I came in there arrogant the first day, and I've never been arrogant since. I am a humble man, and that is part of the process. But this place is much like the karate place. You come in, and invitation is met uh, instantly with challenge. Like when you come in, you participate, you don't observe. When you come in, uh, you're paying them to tell you what to do, which is just bizarre to me. You're paying them to have them yell at you. If you guys have done CrossFit, it's a lot like this. It's a circuit training thing where you do these different stations and you keep your heart rate up and you do strength and you do condition. It's 45 minutes and you're just exhausted. I don't know what they do to you, but you are dead by the end of that time. It's amazing to me in places like this in CrossFit, there's there's relationship there. People come early and they stay late and they know each other's business. People are being challenged there. People are being changed there. People are not only being inspired, they're being empowered there. And get this. Much like uh, when I was 11 years old at that karate class, the Fedoshan karate class, by the end of the time that I was 11, I couldn't, I couldn't host a Star Trek convention or even know any of the Star Trek, you know, you know cultural language or things that I could, you know, c- c- recreate or reproduce a Star Trek, you know, convention. But by the end of my karate class, I could teach a class. They had me teaching classes at 11 years old. At Burn Boot Camp and CrossFit, you guys have seen this. I have a distractingly good-looking friend named Josh Dather. Some of you guys know who this is. And this guy spent a year in CrossFit, and he had me over to his house to go work out. And he can go lead a a CrossFit workout with some tires and a rope swing in his his yard. What am I getting at here? Is that that when you go into these these workout gyms, there's such an invitation, there's such a challenge, and there's not only inspiration, but there's empowerment. There's like, you didn't make it this time, but I believe in you to do better. There's such a discipleship process. I literally stopped and asked myself this question. Do the, do the popular gyms and fitness classes of our day disciple people towards fitness better than the church disciples people towards Jesus today? If discipleship is not, just not looking to Jesus for your problems, but looking like Jesus in your life, and if discipleship is not just about addition and adding people to crowds, but multiplying people so that, uh, 
so that a disciple is not just somebody that can follow Jesus, but helps somebody else follow Jesus, then do the gyms and the workout places of our day do a better job, this is a question for us today, do a better job discipling and multiplying people than churches do? If you sent a person to spend, uh, you know, 10 hours over there at the CrossFit gym, they don't sit in the, in, in, in the smaller group and just kind of talk about what it might look like to work out. You are working out the second you get in there, even and especially if you're bad at it. You are, you are activated from, the, from day one. And, and nobody, you know, it's like, you know, you, you're not, if you go, go, go to the coach and say, you know, by the end of the, whatever, six-week thing, like, you don't have a six-pack, the, the coach is going to sit there and laugh at you because the responsibility and onus is on each of the individual members to take responsibility for their own growth process the second that they get there. And there is just this, there's a loving, and I want to talk about this, there's an image I want to share at the very end of this. There's this loving challenge that engines the whole thing that says, I believe in you and I won't let you fail at this. There's this engine, this culture that, that gets at the center of this thing, of, 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 this, of these gyms that can actually reproduce in people the value set and not only the why, the what, and the how within the culture of these places. So I want to read this passage today and kind of sum things up in a picture just at the very, very end, if you'd bear with me. But I want to talk about, um, as we think about the idea of, of discipleship, the idea of helping people, and we're going to talk about this as kind of an intro for the next three weeks in a series called Defining Discipleship. If discipleship is about multiplication, if discipleship is not just about being a disciple, but also making a disciple and the ability to do this, Ephesians 4 um, I think is, is a passage of scripture that can really speak to us, I think, in a season like ours. As we think about groups and we think about not just a culture of invitation and fellowship, but also a culture of challenge and a culture of reproduction and multiplication. A disciple that is making a disciple that can make a disciple that can make a disciple. I want us to think about some of the words that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. So we're going to be in chapter 4 and the words will be on the screen. Paul writes to a very eclectic metropolitan area in the church of Ephesus. It is a trading port that collects lots of different cultures, demographics, and backgrounds. Some of the passages in this book talk about the idea that there is a, a oneness and an equality between not only you know, man and woman, but slave, Greek, Jew, and barbarian, that multiple people are supposed to come under one, uh, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, and one father. And so Paul spends the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians to speak to each individual believer in their identity, inheritance, in Christ. And uh, he spends the first three chapters laying that out, that theology of who we are in Christ and what we have in him. This is who you are in Christ and what you have in him. This is who you are in Christ and the inheritance that you have just by being his son and by his daughter. And he turns the page from, from belief into behavior. And in chapter four through six, the second half of the book, he talks about the what now. Like, how do you respond to who you are? How do you live on purpose, not an accident, to who you are? How do you live on purpose to who you are and what you have in him? And so this is what he says out of the gate in chapter 4, the second half of the book. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. So he says, if you have any idea of who you are, listen to me, this is how you're going to live this out on Tuesday or Monday or Wednesday. Like this is what's, what's most important to you. So he goes on to say, he says, he says, be completely humble these are kind of the first steps, the foundational steps of what it means to understand our identity in Christ and live that out uh, implicitly. He says, be completely humble and gentle and be patient and bearing with one another in love. In other words, he's saying, if you care at all about the gospel, 
and seeing the nations changed than go home and love your family first. If you have any understanding about who you are and your identity in this place in eternity, then go home and build a family. If you want to reach the nations of the world, if you want to go and see the Gentiles you know, be reunited uh, with the Jews under one faith and one baptism, then your number one job is to love and disciple the one in front of you, to go home and build the family. And so he says it this way. He says, I want you to be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. The words that you see on the screen here or in your scripture that you have in front of you, they represent to me slow and low and patient words, not fast and flashy words. The first, there's three words I want to highlight in this passage today, and I'll tell you right off front so you can see how fancy and alliterative I am as a, as a preacher. Uh, in Ephesians 4, Paul is making this endorsement to build family uh, that, that blesses neighbors that I see it in the passage through three things. The first one is time, the second one is trust, and, and the third one is truth. But the very first one is, is about time. It's like, listen to what he says. He says, I want you to make every effort to be patient and forbearing with one another. If you're a business, you go and make a profile and you go get after it. You go carpe diem and you make the thing happen. But what Paul says about family is that family isn't ultimately built by people. The family is built by God. If the Lord builds the house, then the Lord's house can stand. Like if the laborers labor without the Lord, the laborers labor in vain. And so he speaks directly to this. He says, make every effort to make unity. Listen to this. Through the spirit, through the bond of peace that the spirit is already connecting. So in other words, he's saying, he's saying that, the, that the architect, the chief engineer, the general contractor of the church is not people but God. And that the Holy Spirit is actually already provided the family that's here as a gift that we need to open and unlock and to, and to nurture. And so what, what it's saying is that oftentimes we get into, into, into city groups, let's say, or into churches, and we want to see uh, a microwave oven kind of overnight uh, a deliverance of family. And what he's saying is, listen, the fruits of the spirit that you're going to need to build family aren't, you know, articulate, you know, answers and, and, and great words to say to people and, and the next wise, next step. What you need most over everything to build up a church and to build up family, he says the number one commodity you have is time and time together. And so he's saying what you want to do is you want to invest your time. You want to give space for the Holy Spirit to build a bond and a connection between you and your brother or sister because family doesn't happen overnight. Family happens over time. So the very first thing that I see in the scriptures, and I want to move quickly here, is this issue of time. It's this idea that as we come into city groups and as we you know, move into a place and build up roots, discipleship is not an event. Discipleship is not a moment in time. It is a repeatable rhythm of relationship that takes time for the Holy Spirit to build a bond. He is the architect. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a family man. I almost picture the Holy Spirit with one of those like tropical grill shirts with the smoke just coming up because he is just building family continually. Like that father who invites people to his house to want to build family. He wants the family around the dinner table. And what he's speaking to us in Ephesians 4 through Paul is that family takes time. The second thing that I see in this passage is that family takes trust. So look at verse 7. It says, not only is Christ the grounds by which we can build a common ground, one faith, one baptism around family. There's not only a common ground, but there's a common grace. Verse 7 says that there is a grace that is given uh, through Christ and a portion to each of us. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. I love the fact that Jesus is the only one that takes captives and gives gifts to his captives, uh, as opposed to take things away from his captives. 
and says, what does he ascend mean except that he has descended to the lower earthy regions? He who descended is this very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. The reason why I believe that this passage speaks to us on the issue of how much will we learn to trust those around us, how much will we learn not only to just um, forego and forbear people around us, but actually trust and learn to need the people next to us, is that there isn't just one person that indwells the fullness of Christ. What he says is, at least, there's five gifts that are necessary to completely uh, amplify the voice of God in our life, which means that many of us are looking for mentors, somebody to care for us, looking for uh, somebody to lead us in this place. And what, what Paul is basically saying is that if you don't actually not just have one person that's able to speak into your life, but if you don't have at least four other kinds of people in your life, then family is not full in your life. He's saying that there is actually, because of Christ, the indwelling of at least four, if not more, different kinds of people that we are going to need to be listening to on a daily basis, an ongoing basis. This isn't a classroom. This isn't even just a one-on-one mentorship. This is a family that, that, that Paul is proposing where there's a multiplicity of different gifts. Many of us are familiar with the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a personality test that says there's nine different profiles, the one being the reformer, the two being the helper, and the three being the achiever, and all these things that talk about our different personality profiles. What I love about the difference between the way that Jesus sees differences versus the way that the world sees differences is that Jesus sees differences as gifts, whereas the world sees differences as burdens to avoid. Whereas the Enneagram and personality test can oftentimes just kind of teach us different things to watch out for or pitfalls or ways to not step on people's toes, it's at best sort of a a pathway into accepting one another and not getting in each other's way. But I love the fact that if we see somebody different around us, what the Holy Spirit is saying through, the, through Paul the Apostle is that these differences are not just things to get uh, to, to, to be patient through and bear through, but these gifts are things to receive, that the person next to you is not different so that you just put up with them. No, the person next to you is different because they're a gift to you to speak something different than you're thinking on your own. That if you're a pastor person, you need apostles in your life. These apostle people are the ones that keep us on mission. They remind us that there's a bigger story being told than just being comfy and cozy. And if you're, if you're a teacher person, the prophet person is important to you because the prophet reminds you to lean on the Holy Spirit and not just your wisdom. That you could read lots of words in the Bible but miss the word of the Lord of your life if you're not able to tune your ear to the Holy Spirit. And those types of people are going to annoy you and they're going to uh, frustrate you so long as you think that Jesus can be fully embodied in one person. He can't. The the fullness of Jesus is embodied in the family of Jesus, not in one person in Jesus. We are not the bride of Christ. Excuse me, I am not the bride of Christ, and you are not the bride of Christ. The family as a body built up unto the head of Christ, that is the bride of Christ. And to get to become mature in stature, it's not just going to take one voice or the personality of one person, but it's going to take a plurality of many people. And in order for us to grow, we don't only need time together, we need trust together. And I need to learn to listen to people that are different from me. Do you have somebody that's different from you, and do you treat them as a burden to get around or you treat them as a gift to be received. The person that's next to you is different for a reason. They're not a mistake. And they have been empowered through the grace of Jesus, just like you've been empowered through the grace of Jesus to use their gift and difference to build you up. And so that is the challenge today is do we have time together, but do we trust each other? Do we understand if we're a foot that we need the eye and if we're eye, we need the ear? This is the great test, I believe, of family is time, but not just time putting up with each other, time learning to trust each other. And listen to one another. This is what it would take to build a family that would outlast CrossFit. Lastly, 
And this, I think, is the most important to me, or one of the things that stuck out to me the most this year. If you look on the screen, it says this. He says, in this process of building family, we're not just building um, events and memories. We're not just building a photo album. We're building up people. The purpose of the gathering of the saints is that people would be equipped for the service of ministry. And so we're gathering not to build an event or a culture. We're gathering to make disciples, and that has to be the measurement. Like, I don't look at my family and say, man, I am a success or we're a success as a family because we went to Disney World. That won't be what ends up on the resume, right? At 18, the thing that we're calculating is the question, will Alec go on and go further than me? That is the question of disciples. That has to be the premise for why we gather in families or not gather at all. This is the question. Will we multiply disciples? We can make crowds. We can make uh, albums of songs that transform culture and make you feel a certain way. But, but, but John Mayer and, and Star Trek is great at assimilating culture. The question is not, can we build and assimilate culture? The question is, can we build and make disciples? Can we make disciples that can make disciples that can make disciples? That is ultimately the goal. And so he says, what's happening here, right? When we get into families, we start off on this kind of wobbly, kind of like emotional, um, non-directive, let's just sort of see what happens, laissez-faire, the Lord is a kind of feather we throw up in the air and figure out where we're going, and you know, eventually we might get there on accident. He says, that's how we're going to start, because we don't have the truth of God in us. And he says, that's where you are, as the Ephesians church, the church of Ephesus, you barely know the gospel, you don't know what it means, you don't know how to live it out, you certainly don't know how to live it out with others, or the lost, or the least, and so you're learning this process, but that's where you're starting, that's not where you need to end. You're starting with this place where you're an infant, and this is what it says. The illustration is you're tossed back and forth by the waves, and you're blown here and there of every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So he says that the immature believer and the immature family and the immature church is driven by two things, the waves of emotion okay, and the culture of the day. We're, 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 we're dictated, we're predicated, the individual believer and the church. You can judge the maturity and the stature of the church to follow Jesus as the headship under these questions. How much is it driven by emotions that are kind of fickle here and there, up on Tuesday, down on Wednesday, sideways on Thursday, going over this direction on Friday? That's how we start, not where we want to finish. He says the, the, the immature church uh, is starting off in this place where we're driven you know, by emotion and moved left and right by that with no structure and no direction. And we are driven uh, by the waves of the culture, by the outside culture. And so really, when people come and visit the church, it really looks exactly on the inside of the church as it does on the outside of the church. He says, that's not a family that's built up. I mean, you can get a group together and sing the same songs, but that's not a church built up yet because the church needs to look like Jesus. There's a difference between a church that can talk about Jesus and a church that sings about Jesus and looks to Jesus, but there's a totally different aspect in here, which we'll get to in a second, that looks like Jesus. And let me just say this. We all know people that can talk about Jesus but don't look like Jesus at all. So it's very possible to worship Jesus and not follow him. It's very possible to look, look to Jesus and look like Jesus. This is an example I gave to the leaders at the front line meeting the other day. I love Kyle. Kyle's a smart guy. He runs our finances, and I'm glad it's him, and you should be glad it's him, not me. My finances don't look like Kyle's, and maybe I need to repent and learn on that, but I, I, I like Kyle, I know Kyle, but I don't look like Kyle. And what I'm saying is that it's very possible to look to Jesus for problems and solutions. It's very possible to look at Jesus and like Jesus and love Jesus, but it's a whole another conversation that we want to bring up in the next three weeks about looking like Jesus. This is what it means to look like Jesus, he says. 
Instead, he says, you're going to speak the truth in love. This is what I think ultimately for the next year, I think as a church, we could, we could continue to grow in and never see the end of is that if we want to build a family, like if, if we really do believe that disciples are not made in crowds if they're made in families, and if, if that's because disciples are to be multiplied and crowds don't multiply, I don't care how many, uh, how many, how many um, Titanics you've seen, you're not becoming James Cameron, right? And I don't care how many iPhones that we buy, none of us are multiplying Steve Jobs. We can go to Hillsong conferences, and I've been to a few of those, and I don't sound anything like Hillsong. I'm sorry, I wish that I did. Because crowds don't multiply. Crowds can add, and they can subtract, but they can't multiply. Families are 7 to 12. Families are uh, lightweight, repeatable rhythms. Families are empowering, not just inspiring. Families are circles, not rows. Families are challenged, not just invitations. And families multiply. And the reason why we want to build family and not just community or just coffees or just a crowd of people is because crowds don't multiply, so they don't answer to Matthew 28. Families multiply disciples. And so this is what this looks like. If we were to do this for the next year, it says, he's, he says, this is how you get built. This is how you build up the body, not the CrossFit body and the abs and the pecs and the delts and the gains. This is how you build up the body of Christ in truth and in love. This is how you build up the body of Christ. You put truth into the glove of love and you, and you, and you, and you uh, empower and you... And you um, and you give platform towards truth through the way that you love others. Um, I was listening to a podcast, and this is the image that I want to we'll close this with today, and, and, and Stephen's coming up to direct us in just a minute, but I want to close with this. Um, I was listening to this podcast today, and it just struck me because it was like an image that just so quickly triggered. I was on a run, and I was remembering this passage as I was thinking about it. But they were talking about um, leadership, coaches, teachers, um, principals, you know, bosses, they have this quality across different spectrums. The guy was talking about, this was a church podcast, but he said, the best leaders, they have this characteristic about them. They, um, they are velvet-covered bricks, is what he says. Have you heard this before? And so he says, you think about a brick, uh, brick's cold, but velvet, if you were to cover a brick in velvet, it would be strong, but it would have this soft nature. And so he's like, he's like, there's leaders and organizations in organizations and football or whatever it is, you know, CrossFit, there's these people. And he's like, they're really important because they build that group up. They're the ones that actually build it because they're velvet covered bricks. It's like, you ever go to like a school and it's like, there's that secretary. Do you know what I'm talking about? When I say velvet covered bricks, she like, she is actually, there's a principal, but she kind of like really runs the whole school. You know what I'm talking? And you like got to go know her. Her name's Peggy. And, like, you better be on her good side because Peggy's really what runs the whole operation because Peggy's got this, like, velvet cover. She, so, so it's like when you, when you go and talk to somebody like this, this is the picture that I get, there's this kind of, like, soft kindness to them. And there's this supportiveness. There's this love that exudes off this person, this real care. I mean, they'll cry with, with you. They will empathize. They'll be excited but, but, but inside of them is this steely resolve for something more than the moment. There's this steely resolve towards a value. There's a steely foundation that isn't being whipped around by the waves of the, of the emotion, the day, and the culture. There's a steely resolve of truth expressing it itself in love. I was, I was talking to, to, to um, Rose about this very topic at dinner last night. She said, it kind of reminds me of the difference between upward and YMCA volleyball. She said, at upward... When you miss a shot, 
they just go, oh, I think it went in. I, I think I saw it go in. Like, they'll just be like, oh, too bad. You know, like, next year maybe. You know what I mean? Like, they don't really do anything about it. They're like, they celebrate. You know, you miss the shot. They celebrate. You make the shot. They celebrate. She said, the YMCA is totally different. She says, they're tougher, but I kind of like it. And Leo agreed. And he said, I like the thing. This is what they say. At YMCA, when you miss a shot, they say, you missed that shot. But I know you can do better, so I want you to take that shot again. This is my question. Do you have somebody in your life that's like this, or do you identify people like this in your life, a truth and love person? Like there's nine people that you have something that you want to do that you know is wrong, and there's nine people you could go call on the phone and talk them into why what you're doing is wrong is right. But if you thought about that one person, Peggy or whoever that person is in your life, you know if you called them up, they would not let you do that. And your whole inner dialogue is, let me go call these nine people and not call this person. You know why? Because that person is a truth and love person. That's somebody you need to hang on to. That's somebody that's building you up. That's something that's building the church. And this is the picture that I get in a hopefully not hyper-allegorical way, is that the church is, is, is it's a living being. It's an organism. It's a body that doesn't just build itself up on accident. It builds itself up with intention. And that intention is truth with love. It's truth with love. I remember I was talking to, to my Uncle Peter. He was counseling me through some things about my dad, and I'm on the phone just whining about my dad. You know, my dad is such a da-da-da-da, and, you know, he does this, and he said this to me. And, you know, that's family, and there's stuff like that that we all have in our families. And I remember, like, the third time we finally got in the conversation, Uncle Peter goes, you know, you've talked about that a while. What are you going to do about that? This is my question. Is like, does Greenville need churches that know how to talk about Jesus or look like Jesus? And CrossFit and Clemson and pretty much any other place or culture that is able to reproduce leaders, not just like create a crowd and a culture and a climate, but actually reproduce so that Josh Dather in his backyard can go get a tire and make a CrossFit class for me and I don't have to pay anything for it. Like reproduce, not just join and acclimate, but actually become a disciple that can make a disciple. We got to go small. We got to go low. We got to go slow and we got to go challenge. And so the five things up on the board that represent every single city group, and we'll have time to talk about this. I feel like I just had so much to share today and I know it's been a lot and and hopefully over the next few weeks, there'll be a grace for us to continue to communicate what this looks like and, and how this looks and not just to say it needs to happen, but to really like talk about this thing. It's like, I want us to get into city group and do stuff, like practice and fail at stuff. The reason why Clemson is an incredible football team isn't because they sit and talk about whiteboards. It's because they get in there and they fail at stuff. They try stuff that's awkward. There's an invitation and there's a challenge. And that's what city groups are. They're a continual, repeated rhythm. Discipleship is not an event. It's not, it's not um, something that happens because of a random act of kindness. No, it's an intentional decision with the same people. Character is not only doing the right thing, it's doing the same thing. And continuing as we fail to try and try again. And this is what continually a velvet-covered brick, a truth-in-love culture will say is that I know you didn't get it this time, but I believe and believe really in the Holy Spirit inside of you that this next time you will take this step. And so this is what what I want to see. There's just these rhythms, and we'll talk about these things, but it's like I want to see our city groups drenched in prayer. I want to see any fear in any of us that's afraid of not sounding good for praying out loud, I want that out the door. I want the city groups from the front to the back, all the people that are gathered, whether it's fellowship groups or worship groups, I want to see us not just use prayer as a transition between giving and preaching, but prayer to be the very essence of why we get together, 
to talk to God. And I want you to be just infused and ignited in your prayer life this year. I don't want you to be the same person, you know, in your prayer life. I don't want to be the same person in your prayer life. And my thing is, I'm asking you, can I challenge you? And can city groups in their groups challenge you to take that next step? Maybe you don't feel comfortable or confident in this. Maybe you don't like to do this sort of thing. But, but will you try? Will you take a step with us? I love you too much to not, let you, to, to not, to not pull you up into that challenge. Number two, I want to see the food and fellowship. And I think we got that going down so far. So I don't know if there's many notes I have for that. But in our discipleship process, the devotion is not just one leader leading discussion. What I would love to see is for all of us to share in the load of teaching and discussing the scriptures in our groups. We don't all have to be seminary students. None of the disciples were seminary students. If this is going to be a multipliable, lightweight thing, if discipleship is something that's reproducible, it has to be doable. It has to mean that you don't need to be a scholar and an eloquent preacher person to be able to host a devotion. And so what we're asking in each group is to share the load, to be, able to, to be able to talk about that. Every person in our group is to be able to share what is God saying to me in this scripture and what is he asking me to do. And for that to become a celebration, not a burden. That each and every one of us, when we gather for, for one-on-one prayer uh, at the end of groups, are going to, in this year, tangibly take steps towards praying for somebody out loud, by the laying on of hands, by the confessing of sin, by the meeting of the Holy Spirit, if that is only relegated to the pastors and the elders of the church, then are we creating crowds or are we making disciples? These are the kind of steps that we want to take. And lastly, we would love to see that every group, and we'll talk about this continually, what it looks like, has a missional out that Jesus, uh, you know, to, to, to make disciples, you know, that make disciples doesn't happen just in the four walls of the church. It happens in the neighborhoods and in the streets and so forth. And so at City Group, we want to try and find these places of mission in each and every city group where, I mean, some of the groups, I know, for example, this sounds fun to me, you know, goes to Taco Tuesday on Tuesdays. And one of their groups, they just literally tip the waiter really well, uh, pastor and care for that waiter, and they continue to build relationships with that restaurant. And they're not expecting for a Billy Graham crusade to start up there, but what they are expecting is for disciples to be unleashed in their capacity to do what it is that their father does, which is to reach, um, to reach the, the least and the lost. It's to go out of the four walls of the church. And so we want to not just be hearers and talkers about the word, but doers of the word as well. And so these are some of the five rhythms. There's more to talk about. There's more to consider. But this is what I want to propose to you in this, is that if this year, as we continue on in building family, we build, build families that look like Jesus, that don't just talk about Jesus, and that we make a, a culture that empowers, that doesn't just inspire, that circles, not roles, that has challenge and not just invitation. And we want to do that through city groups. And so the next three weeks, we're going to introduce what those city group leaders are, who they are. We're going to have opportunity, I think, for a speed dating possibility to meet some of these other leaders. But the ultimate goal is this, is that we're not just building communities, we're building families. And families look like empowerment. Families ask the question, will this reproduce disciples? If it doesn't reproduce disciples and doesn't multiply disciples, then it's friendship, it's fellowship, it's worship, but it's not discipleship. Discipleship is multiplication, family is multiplication, and that's what building family um, is all about. I'm going to invite Stephen to uh, come up uh, and lead us into our next uh, time in the service. I want to thank you, God, for um, just the faith that's in this room. I know that you see it and are pleased by it. I thank you, God, for um, people that um, I believe that through your scriptures are getting empowered not only to believe more of you, but believe more of your Holy Spirit in them. And I ask God that just um, as, we, as we go about the process of being and making disciples continually in our church, uh, that you would put a grace on it, um, and that ultimately we would see that we are not building the family ultimately, that you are building it. That is the bond of the Holy Spirit, the gifts and the grace of the Holy Spirit, 
and the grounds of Jesus, the, the baptism and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as the foundation is what ultimately is a, is a family that can be good news to the neighborhoods and nations. So I thank you, God, for what you're doing. Um, I ask you for more faith and favor in these areas, and we thank you for this next moment together as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.